0: What's up, Motorheads? Welcome to F1 Brake Check. For those of you who may have already been following us for a little bit, we are changing the name up a little bit. We kind of got to thinking that the original title was a little too long-winded, so kind of like your host here. So we're gonna take we're gonna rename ourselves to Brake Check and just uh, kind of give it a whole fresh new spin. So I'm Scott Vick, one of your intrepid hosts. With me, as always, is my co-host Corey Brune where we're going to talk about the latest rounds of the F1 World Championship, but we're also going to put it in historical perspective and talk about the latest racing technologies. Corey, how you doing today?
1: Uh, well, I live in Texas, U.S., so hot. Yes. So always hot. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, you know, the, the F1 season is just phenomenal.
0: Yes. Living also here in Texas, it's definitely tire-melting hot here. Yeah, you definitely uh, do not want to use the SOPS right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's what uh, thirty-five, thirty-six degrees Celsius, anywhere from ninety-seven to one hundred five degrees Fahrenheit. So depending on where you are in the world, it's hot.
0: <laughs> it's hot yes, here in Texas. It's very, very hot. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be talking about Spain today and doing a little, a little recap of the the action from Spain. Uh, coming to us from the beautiful Circuit de Barcelona-Catalunya, which uh, I have never gotten to see or drive, but I have driven that course on the simulator a ton. Beautiful track, just absolutely gorgeous. It's got just such a great, great mix of high-speed corners, you know, with some really uh, challenging corners and everything. Just a, a beautiful place. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic track. And them. Um...
1: Reprofiling there, the last corner it made it that much better of a track.
0: Yeah, that's definitely one of the things. Definitely that last corner reprofiling and making it a much higher speed. Uh, yeah. I cannot wait till the uh, the newer versions of Forza and stuff come out with the reprofiled corner in it, because all the the ones that I've driven had the original corner in it, and which could be you know pretty tricky and mm-hmm. kind of a medium speed blast. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, made for some very exciting racing. Right. So do you want to talk and, uh, through Mercedes and, and them coming back from midfield? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yes, I mean, it was absolutely, you know, a brilliant two, three, four Mercedes. Uh, you know, Hamilton drove a fantastic race, um, got a really great start, kept his, you know, Mercedes played the, the a strategy just perfect to keep Hamilton in position. And you got to give lots of props to Russell, who took stormed from 12th on the grid after a so-so qualifying run to wind up as third on the podium. That's that's a pretty impressive uh, resurgence after the kind of dismal showing that they had at the beginning of the year.
1: Yeah, it just goes to show how much those upgrades really are paying off now. You know, both drivers are (laughs) consistently getting up in in the top tiers now, and we're actually seeing Hamilton and and really Russell uh, drive pretty much to where they were before, you know, before the, the new regulations came out for the the, uh, the cars. It's good to see we have another contender in, in the upper field and in, in the top field now. Although they're not really chasing Max at this point, they hopefully will be getting there fairly soon. They're at least getting to that point where they're contenders. If Max does a mess up or if there's any type of car issue, Possibly within the next couple of upgrades, maybe they start leading the the Grand Prix from now on. yeah, you know? so it's yeah, wide open. It's just it's very good to see that they are making that much progress in truly
0: such a short amount amount of time. Absolutely. In my opinion, it's Red Bull and then Aston Martin, which they've done a just from the beginning of the season, Spain notwithstanding. Um, And they've done just a fantastic job. And the margin between Red Bull and Aston Martin right now is razor thin. It's if Red Bull cocks up the strategy in some way, or if they have some kind of mechanical issue, Aston Martin's going to be right there to pounce. And with the upgrades that they're making, not just on the cars, but also with the personnel, it's not going to be long before. They're not just going to be nipping it, red bull's hills they're going to be pouncing on red bull and which i think is fantastic but having said that i think that mercedes has definitely done a tremendous job in closing up the gap between up to aston martin and like you said if the upgrades continue to come and they're continuing to unlock speed out of the car at the rate that they have done with the first set of upgrades they could very well, you know, pull level, if not surpass Aston Martin very easily.
1: You have the talent there and the drivers. Now you get the technology to match that. It's going to be like, you know, two, two years ago, three years ago now where they were unbeatable, right? They're yeah, like what Red
0: Bull is or
1: has been so far.
0: Definitely know that with the personnel that Mercedes has, with all of the intelligence and, you know, fantastic designers, great mechanics, you knew that they weren't going to stay down for oh, all. Oh, yeah. So no doubt that about that. You knew definitely Mercedes was definitely not going to become a Williams, where at one point they were at the top of the grid, and now they're at the back end. Um, it's wait. definitely yeah. not going to be a situation like that. It would take something much more drastic, and we'll talk about this in future podcasts. We'll talk about the, the rise and the fall of Williams and how the regulation changes in the early 20, 2000s are really what killed Williams and took them from being at the pinnacle of the sport to being the perennial backmarkers. But again, like I said, we'll talk about that in a future podcast. So let's talk about the upgrades and what, how Mercedes got there. And what we're going to do is we're going to take, we're going to start doing a segment, what I referring to as tech corner where we're going to take, we're going to talk about a specific uh, part of the technology involved in the sport and how it relates to, you know, not just to today's news, but also how it goes back to the history of the sport. Um, so today we're gonna take we're gonna talk about side pods, which was one of the biggest, most visible upgrades that Mercedes made to the car. For those there who don't know, Mercedes started out the year with what they referred to as their zero side pod. All right. So for those of you who aren't familiar with what a side pod is, the side pod is on each side of the driver's monocoque, which is the area where the driver sits. So, if you're looking at the at, at a, the, a Formula One car from the front, the side parts, pods are the part that extends out past the area where the driver sits, and then and reaches back towards the back wheels. And Mercedes came out last year when the regulations changed. They came out with what they referred to as their zero side pod, which was a side pod that had a very, very small and low profile. So if you looked at, you know, it it was extremely different from what all the rest of the teams had done. And the side pods are usually are generally used to feed air into the radiators For the cooling of the engines and also for but they're also used for aerodynamics as well and with the updated regulations last year the side pods became very integral in channeling the air around the sides of the car and channeling the air underneath the car into the ground effects and we're not going to go into ground effects today we're going to save that for that conversation for Canada but Again, it was a way for them to manage the air as it came around the side, not just through the side pods into the radiators, but around the side pods and around the wheels and how it fed into the beam wing for the rear wing that we have talked about in, in previous episodes. With the latest upgrades, Mercedes went away from the zero side pod concept because the way that the aero was working around such a low profile area because they technically had minimal side pods. They only had just an area just big enough for the radiator intakes, and then everything dropped away. And because of that, it made it the air as it came around the front wheels and around the cockpit, it took and channeled the air onto the upper part of the floor, which worked really well in the previous iteration of the rules But with this one, it became too hard for it to take and properly manage the air as it went around the bottom of the car. And that's the reason why for most of the part last year, the Mercedes had the worst time with the porpoising effect. So with the change in the new side pods, they went to a more traditional side pod that looked very much like the Aston Martin and Red Bull side pods, where you would have the air intake at the upper part of the side pod, and then there's a channel underneath so that when the air comes around the wheels in the cockpit, it takes and channels some of the air into the air intakes for the radiators, and it channels the rest of it through those tunnels underneath the air intakes, and then pushes that air underneath the car, which then takes and pulls it through the diffuser and around the back wing. By doing that, it takes and it minimizes the porpoising because... With the way that the arrow was on the old Mercedes is it made it much more susceptible to, and for those of you who don't know what the porpoising is, uh, just in a nutshell, basically what it is is as the car is going along, the air and the air travels underneath the car, it takes and creates a a low uh, air effect, which causes the car to lower towards the ground until the point where it actually, the car would actually get so close to the ground that it would actually hit the tarmac and then cause the suspension to then rebound and pop back up. And it would go through a cycle of that where it would take and just constantly be, it would suck it down, bounce up, suck it down, bounce up. And last year, as we saw, Mercedes had probably some of the worst porpoising to the point where there was still one race where I believe it was Lewis actually yeah. had complained after the race so bad because they, they literally had to lift him out of the car because he was so sore. <laughs> There's not a lot of padding in those seats. There's almost zero padding in the seats and they are form fitted for each individual driver. Something like the porpoising would cause a lot of back pain if you're doing 200 miles with that constant bouncing off of the tarmac. So (laughs) the new side pods, it's helped tremendously with the aero on the Mercedes, which has helped tremendously with their return to form.
1: Yeah, going back to Hamilton, he could barely walk when he got out of that car. It it was just, it was disturbing to see how much pain, because we all know how much those drivers go through just in a race itself, right? I mean, they have to deal with all the Gs, they have to deal with all the braking, all that they have to deal with in their body. Watching him walk like that, I just, I I was really upsetting to see. But like you said before, just glad that they have that fixed and it's actually much better now with Mercedes. Yes.
0: Very much so. So to going from resurgence, let's talk about the falloff with Aston Martin. This is the first race that we had where Alonso was not on the podium, finished up in seventh, and Stroll actually for the first time this year actually outqualified and outperformed. His teammate brought it home in sixth. Was not his best performance of the year. I believe he had a fifth, and I believe it was either Jeddah or Monaco. I think I'd have to check my facts on that. You know, it's definitely. Not up to Alonso's speed. Definitely a great showing right. for Stroll. So, what, what do you think attributed to that? Was it just the, the track itself? Was it just a bad day? I think that they just had a bad day.
1: Uh, okay.
0: Alonso didn't qualify well at all. Uh, I think they got the setup just completely wrong mm. uh, for the uh, for the track. Um, so, I but I can't attribute it how they got it so wrong, I can't point my finger at any one thing because it's not like the weather played into it because it was dry the entire weekend. It wasn't because of, you know, any one particular issue. I just don't think they were on the stick that week, and it showed. And, and again, Aston Martin is a team that has started off the year really, really strong. You still have to think that Aston Martin, even though they have a long history – in the sport, the team itself, if you go through the the history of Aston Martin, started off as Jordan Racing, you know, in the 90s, you know, was later bought out, you know, and it's gone through, you know, several other iterations, you know, through Stryker uh, for one year, you know, Force Point, Force India, you know, you've had all these changes of ownership since the Jordan days until now. So you kind of have to think of Aston Martin as an old team, That's still going through growing pains. So Lawrence Stroll has thrown a ton of money at this team and he wants to bring it to the forefront of the grid. And he is real you know, he came to the realization that which a lot of people could have told him that, you know, you're gonna have to have the personnel. And I think it's all of the changes in the personnel, not specifically before this race, but just the different people working with each other and everything. Occasionally, right now, this year, I kind of expect one or two races where they're gonna just be kind of lost in the weeds, but because they're so strong, they're still going to have a respectable showing, just not what we've been used to so far this year.
1: Because again, Aston Martins, they're the ones that hoping is like the dark horse, right? The ones that will always be present, always hopefully pushing Max a little bit or, or chasing Checo, hopefully uh, once he starts placing a little bit higher, love Alonzo. You know, I, I love watching him race. He's very methodical not only in his racing but how he approaches things it's it's more cerebral watching him race versus because he's not just racing he's he's looking at everybody else putting it in context and he's either pushing somebody really hard so they use their their tires up or he's you know watching people behind him to make sure you know distance wise that he's doing what he needs to do to keep his place or move up a few places so Love watching his strategies.
0: I, I totally agree. I love watching Alonzo work. He, I mean, I, I've made the joke before. I think even on this podcast, I've made the joke that Alonso's making playing 4D chess while everybody else is playing checkers.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: It's, it, it, it's somebody else came up and I, and I wish I could remember who uh, said it, but it was one of probably one of the best quotes from earlier this year when Alonzo was in second place. And he's watching the, I think it was at Miami where Lonzo is in third place. He's watching and he's actually has the, he's so cerebral and such a precision driver that, but so instinctive that he literally could look up and watch the big screen at one of the corners and saw Lance pull off a really nice move. And he's actually able to relay that over the radio. I mean, it's, but somebody made the, the, Uh, quote that said Alonzo only uses about 10 or 20 percent of his brain to actually drive the car and the rest of it is is driving other drivers races for them (laughs) so that he knows where they're going to mess up or where they're going or if they script their strategy how he can take advantage of it and everything so yes he is just he's so much fun to watch now I will admit that early on in his career when he was really young he wasn't quite as methodical as he is now and he was, it was a little hard to like him early on in his career, but he has definitely, he has matured. He has, I mean, he's still blindingly fast at 41 years old. He is still blindingly quick. The way that his brain works and everything is just to go along with his all out speed makes him just so much fun to watch. And I'm so happy to see him back at the sharp end of the grid I
1: couldn't agree more. He He's so fun to watch. And again, just very, he's, he's amazing to watch in that what he can do and his overall vision of, of what's happening on the track, not just in front of him and behind him, but all over, it's just, it, it's amazing. To oh watch.
0: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely is. So barring like a, a, a Michael Schumacher, early two thousands type situation where Max is in an accident, breaks his leg or something, and he's out of the car for you know a couple of weeks. Where Checo or Alonso can start making some ground on him, you know, in the championship. I think Max is pretty much going to probably run away with it this year. But if if Aston Martin continues to build and nip at Red Bull's heels, I think that definitely next year Alonso, um, even at forty two years old, is going to still yep. be able to. He's going to be able to take it to the young guns, very much so. Which yeah, I think I would be it. very cool, and maybe give us, our, and maybe give us, you know, our oldest world champion. You know, it could. Oh, be, wow. I, I think that if anybody could do it, Alonso could do it. Completely agree with that. So on to Ferrari and
1: McLaren. Oh, Ferrari! <laughs> I'm sorry to all the Ferrari fans. Oh, Ferrari! <laughs>
0: yes. So. <laughs>
1: What are your thoughts around you know their qualifying rate, uh, pace versus their race pace? What they're lacking in, in the race? I mean, we're not really truly looking at efficiency and strategy like what we did last year. I mean, are you thinking this is more along the lines of the car and its technology? Or are you thinking this is some issues with the drivers themselves? What, what are your thoughts on,
0: on their performance? Well, in this particular case, it's just such a a mixed bag with everything with Ferrari is it's, you know, Sites qualifies second, Mm -hmm. but then falls off, you know, his race pace was horrible. And, but then you had Leclerc qualifies in 19th, takes a new, I believe it was, they ended up having to change the gearbox. So he ends up starting from the pit lane, just had an absolutely disastrous qualifying, Um, just all kinds of mechanical gremlins takes and, and, and leaves Leclerc, you know, at the back of the grid, you know, out in Q1 and everything, he, you know, and and he really didn't do much in the race itself, I forget where Leclerc finished, but it's just, it was a completely forgettable race for Ferrari, you know, sites just completely dropped off, you know, Leclerc winds up, I don't even remember, I'll have to check my notes here in a minute, um, but yeah, it was just, I, I think it, it's a combination of a couple things. I think that this year's car is a little more difficult to set up. Um, I think some of the changes that they made during the off season haven't really panned out. I think that in some of the other upgrades that are going to come this year is I think that they're going to take and go back to what was working on the car last year. And they're basically going to scrap what they changed this year in certain parts of the car believe me but i don't profess to know specifically what is what they changed on the car that has made it so much harder to get a handle on this year mm. but i think that it's going to be kind of a regression to push forward so they're going to take and they're going to go back to the part that worked and then push forward in a different direction to fix those issues that's costly Not only
1: dollars or pounds perspective or euros, depending on where you are, but just costing an amount of time. They're losing an entire season.
0: So, yeah, so just um, Ferrari has just gone through periods of feast and famine where, you know, they'll go through years like, you know, the early 2000s and, you know, where they have, you know, a brilliant driver, you know, a brilliant technical team, brilliant designers and engineers. And they're just unbeatable. And it never seems to be a gradual decline with them. It's like, they'll go and be at the absolute pinnacle, and then they'll drop off. And then, you know, they'll spend a number of years in the wilderness, and then they'll, you know, come back up, you know, and it's, that's the way that Ferrari has been in their 70 plus years in Formula One. I think we're kind of seeing them in the drop off mode at the moment. So, which is my, I, I'm like you, uh, you know, especially for the long suffering Ferrari fans, I hate to hear that, you yeah. know, and, and I right. could be wrong. They could end up riding the ship. Now, do I think that they're going to be able to do any better than fourth in the championship this year? I doubt very seriously, but we shall see. But let's talk about another team that is, I just don't even know what to make of it uh that you mentioned before we were going to talk about mclaren i just i don't know what to make of them i mean it's like norris you know at spain qualifies, has a absolutely brilliant qualifying qualifies third on the grid but then he takes and gets punted off at you know like at the second corner by hamilton which as much as i hate to say it hamilton was at fault now it was deemed a racing incident and it really was a racing incident but saying Hamilton was at fault isn't exactly the right word to use, but it's definitely had not been for Hamilton. Well, Norris definitely wouldn't have gotten punted off the track. Now, whether he would have finished on the podium, I still highly doubt it because it broke the front wing on the car. He goes into the pits, comes back out in, I believe it was either 18th or 19th place, gets, gets past, I believe it was Debris. You know, and then he's stuck in a DRS train behind Albon and uh, Grand U and a whole string of cars. And for some reason, the McLaren just does not work well in traffic right now. So, as we've seen before, that when the car is out in clean air, you know, especially during qualifying, it can be quite good. And Norris is a, you know, a top tier driver. I mean, I would definitely put Norris in the same. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely put him in the same breath as you know Verstappen and Hamilton and Alonso, and even Leclerc. But he just doesn't seem to ever have the equipment, and and I and I, it makes me wonder how long is he going to be willing to put up with this from McLaren if if somebody like Ferrari comes knocking, or if you know you know whatever you know, one of the other top teams comes knocking, you know, how much loyalty is Norris going to have? But that's another conversation for another day. I mean, he, just, he, like I said, he fades, you know, away even after, you know, getting punted off, you know, fades to 17. Piastri isn't able to, you know, muster anything better than 13th after he also had a pretty good qualifying run, but he again faded during the race. And then it seems to be, that's the problem is in qualifying trim, the McLaren seems to be pretty good. The problem is, is that in a race trim, it's just not the same car. It's just a completely different beast. It seems. Right. And you would think that with a team that has, you know, because McLaren, when it comes to resources and great mechanics and designers and engineers working on the team, I mean, they're right up there with the Red Bulls and the, Aston Martin's and the Ferraris and the Mercedes, they have the you know gobs of money, you know, just like those top teams do. For them to not be in a better position, it's just mind boggling to me. You know, a, a team that's you know has you know multiple world championships at many points during its life have been just on the top of the, the grid and absolutely unstoppable. For them to be where they're at and and to be lost in the wilderness for so long, like they have been for the last seven eight years, is just mind boggling to me. I just I know I keep using that word, but it just I just can't seem to wrap my head around where McLaren has fallen to.
1: I am a Norris fan. I I, I think he he drives just like what you were saying earlier. It, Norris, I definitely put up there in in the top tier drivers. He just doesn't have a top tier car, despite being part of. McLaren in their history, they're just, that car just isn't there, right? So you put him in another car, a Mercedes, you put him in a, just like what you're saying, what happens if say Lewis retires next year? He won't, but Mm -hmm. let's say for for just giggles today that he retires or something happens to one of the the Ferrari drivers. He's an easy shoe-in. Who wouldn't want him to, but again, like your point, would he leave Zach? would he see that as a betrayal? I know that he's gotten offers. I know Red Bull's come after him a couple of times. Mm-hmm. When, when Gasly was fading away at Red Bull, when Alborn was, was uh, fading away as well, I know he's been approached a few times by Horner. He wasn't able to move him then, but that was a few years ago. You know, I'm yeah. sure Norris is hungry and he's wanting to get a title or yep. at least be higher up in the championship. So we'll see. That would be an interesting deal, right? great for the silly season
0: yes absolutely (laughs) you know so and yes and you're right you know with uh, again with uh, Lewis being on the will he or won't he you know train at the moment that it seems like the last few years we've gotten every year with him just signing single year contracts with Mercedes then uh, you know it's definitely you know at what point is uh, you know is Lewis going to call it a day? Now, the thing is is that now that all of a sudden that you know that they're seeming to lock, you know, two tenths of a second, half a second with yeah. these upgrades. I see Lew- I, I definitely have seen a change in Lewis in his demeanor. And he is definitely much more engaged now yeah. than he was, especially towards the end of last season. You could tell oh, he geez. was just beat down, oh, not yeah. just by physically from the car, but from the mental. point of view and he especially in the last two races he's his uh engagement and his uh the bounce in his step is definitely back so right you know but like you said if Lewis does decide that you know hey it was fun this year car got a lot better but I'm done or you know or maybe he wants to take you know a two or three year sabbatical kind of like what you know Alonzo did you know, and decides I'm going to step away for a couple of years and go enjoy my toys and, you know, <laughs> and, and things like that and, and, and go, you know, maybe pursue, you know, other interests and stuff. You know, he's very interested in fashion and things like that. You know, it's like, yep. what, at what point does he decide that, you know, hey, I want to go, I want to go play around for a little bit, you know, maybe I'll take a right. year away you know, and, and make some kind of deal with Toto that says, you know, Hey, I'm going to go away for a year, but I want an option to be able to come back the following year that if I decide I want to come back, you'll open up a seat for me, you know, that kind of thing, you know? So, I mean, it's definitely going to make the silly season much, much more interesting than normal. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like last year. Yes. Yeah. I I love what you said about Hamilton's demeanor because you definitely saw it. Right. I, I mean, he was experiencing so much, not only from the car and his pace and everything, but he was experiencing so much negativity from the press, from fan well, maybe from fans as well. But hearing that all the time, hey, what's Lewis doing? He's so far behind. He's not to the pace of George and everything like that. Surely that that also leads into it. Oh, yeah, sense. you know that, hey,
0: Daddy. Yeah, definitely. You know, especially at the, the beginning of the season where – you know, he had several, he had a couple mechanical issues. There was a couple times he was way off the pace. And you had Russell, his much younger teammate, although very highly touted, his teammate was outperforming him, you know. And what was it the first? I think he had an, un, you know, a streak of finishing in the top five in the, like the first, I want to say it was like the first seven or eight races last year. You know, you know, that had to eat at Hamilton. Oh, no
1: doubt about it. Yeah. 100 yep. percent especially knowing what kind of competitor he is there's no mm-hmm. way he's going home sleeping well at night there's just no, <laughs> no absolutely not so it's it's great I, I love what you said because that really puts it into perspective his his demeanor last year versus what he is today this year yes it, he looks more like the lewis hamilton of 2020 2019 and even before mm-hmm. that right he looks like the Hamilton that that everybody knows as being the true competitor and champion. Absolutely. So Red Bull, speaking of champions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
1: I I feel a little bad, being quite honest. I feel a little bit bad that I said Hamilton and Red Bull's name so close together. Uh, That kind of hurt a little bit. (laughs) Let's talk about Red Bull. Let's let's change the subject a little bit. Let's talk about Red Bull. Uh, Dominic yet again uh yet another track that they are just they're just dominating max was up how many seconds this time i mean people couldn't even see his dust at this point right
0: no he 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 finished 20 something seconds clear of hamilton i it's just i mean almost half a track you know it was almost half the distance of the track that he was ahead of hamilton When he crossed, when he took the checkered flag. So it was just a brilliant wire to wire finish. He, you know, took and got an absolutely storming start, you know, and, you know, where nobody was, you know, even able to even remotely, you know, science kind of tried to challenge him. But once he got ahead of science, got into, you know, turn four and five, he was gone. Once he was out in clear air, he just built up a tremendous lead. Red Bull played the pitch strategy to perfection for Verstappen. And in the end, it was just another brilliant wire-to-wire win for Verstappen. You know, it's like right now, he just looks absolutely unstoppable. Now, having said that, as we've talked about many times before in the past, People have said, you know, hey, you know, is this going to be the way it is for the entire year? And I keep telling people, relax. You know, as we talked about a couple podcasts ago, I still don't think that Red Bull will win every single race this year. Something's going to happen. Either one of the cars is going to get, you know, tank is going to be in a lead and they're going to get tangled up with somebody at, at, you know, on a on the start or on a restart or something like that, and they're going to get punted off into the kitty litter and and their day yeah. is going to be done, or they're going to have some issue, especially now. You know, as we've talked about in the past, now that the cars have to last so much longer than they did back in mm-hmm. the earlier eras of Formula One, they, they're running right, you know, sometimes those gearboxes and those engines, they're like, they're, you know, they say, okay, we can we can take this engine for another 400 miles before we're going to have to change it out. And at 300 miles, it says, nope, I'm done. When they hit that 300 mile mark, that's when it's you know ten laps left in the race, <laughs> you know it's going to be some kind of situation like that. So right. I don't think that they're going to win everyone, but it's not beyond the realm of possibility though that if they if they're you know as smart as Red Bull is, there's going to be a few more of these wire to wire wins for you know Verstappen and, and you know possibly even Checo because Checo also had a pretty this poor qualifying effort and was able to come back to a brilliant fourth place again through a really, really good car. Because the one thing, one of the things that a lot of people have talked about and is still now Aston Martin and Mercedes are getting much closer to them. But the one thing that Red Bull has had that's given them such a clear advantage is under DRS, they are able to slipstream past cars in a way. They don't get caught up in those DRS trains. I still, you know, there's a lot of people who don't like the DRS system, but I still think that the DRS system is very good. It has its place, but it is a problem sometimes when you've got three or four cars that are running nose to tail in a DRS train where they've all got DRS on each other and nobody can seem to make any ground. Now, the problem is that I see with that, though, is it's also an issue of, What about that lead car? Why isn't the car that has DRS that's behind the the lead car that doesn't have DRS, why are they not getting around them? Well, with the Red Bulls, that doesn't seem to be a problem. Mm -hmm. It seems like every time they have DRS within a lap or two, they're around the guy in front of them because they're just so much better. We very rarely have ever seen a team that goes wire to wire that dominant there's only been a couple times you know Ferrari you know in the early 2000s McLaren in 83 where they won 15 out of 16 races most of the time it's going to be more like 2013 with Braun GP who had a very brilliant car to start out the year but by the end of the year everybody was catching up with them you know you're the Ferraris and the Mercedes were, were catching up to not Mercedes because Mercedes bought Braun and became rebranded themselves. So, uh, but Ferrari and even Williams back at that point was still, you know, very much sharp into the grid and they definitely made strides towards the end of the year. But by that point, Braun had built up such a lead in the constructors championship and Jensen Button had done such a brilliant job of maximizing points at the beginning of the season that even at the end, nobody could catch them but you definitely did not see them being a wire-to-wire winner every single race like you did at the beginning of the year and it's I think that I have a sneaking suspicion that with the way that Mercedes has come on and the way that Aston Martin has come good since the beginning of the season I definitely see them really closing that gap to Red Bull much more we're going to have a lot more close to racing towards the end of the season but again, I think that at this point, Red Bull has built up too much of, a, of a, a lead that unless they really screw something up, I don't see them relinquishing that lead this year. But I definitely right. see that the, the fight for second, third, fourth uh, in the Constructors' Championship this year is going to be really, really tight and really, really
1: hard fought. Still talking about Red Bull going to Checo. So this was another race that his quality was not great. Thing being nice <laughs> about it, but he was able to finish fourth. Yes, while his qualities are are not great, he's able to pull through. Attributing yes. a lot of this to Red Bull's race pace, uh, to Red Bull's DRS being able to really effectively use that slipstream and use DRS effectively. And Checo, just being the madman that he is, he's a phenomenal driver, he's able to make up places very quickly, right? So he's, yes. he's finished fourth. Fantastic drive
0: again by Checo. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I I wish that I wish I could put my finger on the reason why Checo doesn't seem to be qualifying as well right now as he did at the beginning of the the year. Um, You know, I can't put my finger on any one particular thing. And I don't think it has anything to do with him. I think it has to do maybe with communication with the team. I just don't know. And with that being said, I'm not going to speculate any further. But Again, one of the things that we've talked about before and I'm sure that we will talk about again is the brilliance of Checo once he gets into a race is that he just he has a fight in him that I don't see in a lot of other drivers. You know, it's like even some of the world champions that they're too easily willing to take what they can get in a race, whereas Checo just doesn't accept that. He says, no, I know that I've got, you know, if my teammate, and in this case for stopping is qualifying first, I may have had a bad qualifying and I qualified seventh or eighth, but I'm going to do everything in my power during the race to get as close to him as I possibly can, because I know that it's possible. He's able to do that in, in such a way that just defies logic. But he he is just such a brilliant driver, and he is such a great foil for Max that you know it, when he, when he qualifies well, I see him being able to be every bit the measure of Verstappen. I know there's yeah. a lot of people that would argue with me and say that no, he's just he's a really really good number two, but I don't see it that way. I see him as being Same every way. measure every bit the measure of Verstappen. I just right now he just doesn't seem to have the consistency that Verstappen has.
1: Exactly. Moving on to non-F1 news. You were wanting to talk about
0: Vettel and Danny Rick? Oh, yeah. So if you, for those of you who haven't seen the news, uh, in a couple weeks, Vettel is going to be reunited with the RB17 that he won the second of his four world championships with. He's going to take and go pound around the Nürburgring, not around the Grand Prix circuit. He's going around the Greenhouse so he is going to do all 14 miles around the the part of the Nürburgring in the Red Bull he's doing it at, again kind of like what he did a few weeks ago where he took he drove the old Williams FW16 which was driven by Nigel Mansell but he used it as a demonstration of the sustainable e-fuel that Porsche and a couple of the and Shell and a couple of the other Energy companies have been touting, and he's. This is going to be the first time that we're going to see a modernish Formula One car. You know, yes, it's still you know what, seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, but this is the first time that we're going to see a modernish Formula One car running on the e fuel, and we're going to get to see it really because Formula One cars have not run on the the Nordschleife part of the Nurburgring in. I wanna say it's been almost 30 years since the last time they ran there. And so this is gonna be really exciting to see. And it's also gonna be really cool because uh, on the same day, uh, Daniel Ricardo is going to get to run around the Norchcliffe as well in his FW18 that he drove when he was teammates with Vettel. We're gonna to get to see Danny Rick back in a Formula One car. And we're going to get to see Vettel back behind the wheel of a Formula One car, and we're going to get to see him running around the Nurburgring, which is just going to be super exciting. I can't wait to see that. All right, next time around, we're going to we're going to talk about the ground effects, uh, modern day ground effects, and how they relate to the ground effects of the bygone era in Formula One. So it's time to push, push, push our way out of here and get back to the garage. Uh, we'll come to you next in a couple of days from Canada. And so until next time, for Corey Brune, I'm Scott Vick saying keep it out of the kitty litter.